Okay, so last week, uh, we, we really got through uh, looking at these verses right before Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, and we were looking at, at verses 18 through 20, and essentially what it was talking about is being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was talking about these byproducts of being filled uh, with the Holy Spirit. Uh, These psalms, these these spiritual songs that that you're singing, uh, giving thanks, having a thankful heart. All these things are byproducts of being filled uh, with the Holy Spirit. And what we see here in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 is a transition or a bridge uh, verse. Let me read it to you. It says this, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, so, so this verse right here, as a bridge, uh, it, it really belongs with both um, contexts, okay? So the context before being filled with the Holy Spirit. So as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, it says what? It says you're going to be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And also it is the bridge to what we're going to be talking about uh, in for the next more than a month probably, uh, which is um, different relationships and what submission looks like in light of those relationships, marital, parental, vocational relationships. And so Paul points out that we should submit to one another in the church. So this is kind of the starting point. It's one, you can only submit to one another through the power of the Holy Spirit. But as he goes into all of these other relationships and these leadership dynamics that you're going to enter into, he says, first and foremost is submit to one another in the church. Remember, this is written to believers who are now in Christ. See, the, the Spirit enables you to do what is not natural. And here, it's loving and submitting to other believers. You know, even when we think about the word submit, for for some of us, when we read that, we just went, oh no, are you kidding? Are we there? Are we at that place? And and we've seen this term uh, used in so many different ways, um, and, and many times in negative ways, or taken out of context. But when we look at this word, the word submit was originally a military term used to refer to the submission of soldiers and an army to those of a superior rank. So good soldiers surrender uh, control. They, they turn loose of their, of their selfish agendas and live in submission and for the good of others. They are uh, surrendered to the will of their commanding officer. And we see this mindset, this, this surrender to, uh, uh, the, to a greater uh, will, to a, a will and a purpose that has influence o- over us. We, we see this surrendering of ourselves. We, um, we, we look at it and, and we study it, uh, whether it's, it's teams that, that we see, like, like if sports teams. Um, we see them operate as a team and, and we see the selflessness uh, that they can operate and work together uh, for a common goal. And, and we look at those teams. I know that uh, in football, the, the team that has been winning a lot in the NFL, not so much probably this year, has been uh, the New England Patriots. And I know that there is this, this phrase called the Patriots way. And, and it's really everybody buying into that system, putting those selfish agendas aside for the sake of the team. And we see uh, even companies and businesses uh, that we look at at and we respect and we and we study how are they successful and many times it comes back down to their ability 
to submit to the greater good. And, and when you think about this, what we're talking about, spirit-filled Christians, they rank themselves under one another. In other words, putting the other uh, ahead of their own through what we call mutual submission, what we see here. The main idea is that of relinquishing one's rights to another person. You know, our society uh, emphasizes equality, uh, right? Many, many of us, uh, you know, are, are, are hoping and, and, and moving forward in equality. But when we look at mutual submission, mutual submission is a much stronger idea than even equality. See, with equality, you still have a battle of, of rights. Uh, equality can exist without love. But with mutual submission, we give up rights. We give up our own rights and support each other. We look to elevate the other person versus just equal, equaling the playing field. What a difference, right? To literally look at somebody and go, I'm going to elevate them even above myself. That's how I'm going to see this other Jesus follower. That's how I'm going to treat them. That's how I'm going to talk to them. That's how I'm going to deal with them. That's how I'm going to love them. I'm actually going to elevate them. I'm not going to put them to where I think I'm at or where other people are at, but literally looking at each other and going, how can I actually elevate them? And that's what, that's what we're talking about. It's love in action. And, and it really, this mindset, if we deal with each other as Jesus followers like this, uh, Galatians chapter 3, uh, verse 28, uh, we really see this played out where it talks about, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if we are operating in mutual submission, we are treating each other uh, in a way that reflects the equality under God that we all are as Jesus followers. It's not different. It's, it's literally we see a Jesus follower and we try to elevate them through this mutual submission. Spirit-filled mutual submission guards us from promoting ourselves and pushing our own interests. But it also doesn't make us doormats to be used by others. See, when we say submit to somebody, and some of us literally in our minds, we went, oh, so I'm going to let just someone walk all over me. So I have to submit because I'm a Jesus follower. Oh, they're a Christian. They said they're a Christian. So I just have to do whatever they say, or they're like a pastor, or they have this authority. So I just, I just have to do whatever uh, they say. That's, that's not what we're, we're talking about at all, <laughs> okay? Don't get it confused, See, people will use these verses to manipulate others to get them to do what they want them to do. And unfortunately, we see that. We see it in the church. We see Christians treating each other this way. We literally see them pointing out uh, verses like this and saying, no, you're to submit. You need to do what I'm telling you to do. I have spiritual authority over you, or you should be looking up to me. And so you need to just, uh, just to do this. And, and, and God wants you to do this. And, and, and literally, it's things that are in opposition to God. It has nothing to do with God. Or it's literally just... Uh, <laughs> treating somebody like, like they're free labor or something to just accomplish whatever I want them to help me accomplish. And some of us have been treated like this in churches, and we've seen these words used uh, as weapons, essentially, and we're hurt, and even right now, we're still wounded by it. 
I want to say that's not okay. It's not okay. That's not in alignment with what we're talking about. This is a command to seek the benefit of the other person as both live out the self-giving love of Jesus. Christ's pattern of self-giving love doesn't mean that we can never seek justice for ourselves. Not at all. See, Jesus did not give in to Herod or the Pharisees. Paul did not hesitate to defend himself or speak strongly to the Galatians or Corinthians. Submission means that even in seeking justice, we are motivated by love for others in the community rather than by a love of self. So, so when you look at this mutual submission and submitting to others, it, it, it's not you're, you're a doormat. It's not you don't have an opinion, you don't have a right, or, or any of, of that. No, because we see, just as we just looked at, Paul defends himself. Jesus even defended himself against these Pharisees. This also doesn't mean we'll always agree. Okay, Paul and Barnabas, uh, probably the most powerful duo as far as when we look at the New Testament and them together going and taking the gospel to all these unreached uh, places, all these cities and the ministry and the incredible impact that they had. And yet they find themselves in Acts 15 in a disagreement over uh, John Mark. And the question is, are we going to take him or leave him? Uh, is do we do we want to take him along the journey or not? And there is such a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas that they end up going in opposite directions. Okay, so be, being mutually submissive does not mean that you're just always going to agree with everything. Um, I'm amazed at the expectation that I feel like people have that they're just supposed to agree on everything because, oh, well, I'm a Christian, you're a Christian, so we should just agree on everything. But the reality is when you look at uh, and study scripture, that, that's not the case. There's going to be things we disagree on. There's, there's going to be uh, different points and how it plays out in our life that we may look at that um, differently. And, and so we see that these disagreements would, would happen in the context of Jesus followers, even people uh, at the level of like Paul. It doesn't mean giving in to what's false. See, there are times when we shouldn't submit. Okay, Paul refused to submit in Galatians chapter 2, verse 5. Listen, he says this. To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So the character of the gospel was at stake, and he's like, we are not submitting to this. This is an opposition to the gospel. But if, if the issue is not an error with the gospel, and it's not an opposition to God's word, the gospel calls for the sacrifice of self-centeredness and the valuing and promoting of other people. See, submission is living with humility and the self-giving love of Jesus. Look at the example of Jesus described in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. This is just incredible when you look at this. And, and, and you know, um, I think one of the things that I continually run into is people go, well, that, 
that stuff is is helpful for people back then. Not so much now. I want you to just walk with me through what I'm about to read here uh, to you and, and just think about the power and how important this is for right now to have this mindset. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 8, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Ooh, that's big. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is the ultimate example. This is the ultimate example of, uh, of, of submitting <laughs> to the will of the Father. This is the ultimate example of selflessness on behalf of other people. And when, we, when you think about uh, his example... In other words, rank, when we think of rank, I mean, Jesus is at the top, right? When we think of ranking people and titles, rank meant little in relating to people and serving people. See, Mark chapter uh, 10, 45, uh, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So of all the individuals that have ever walked the face of the earth that should be served, Jesus was the one who should be served, but he, as the model, as the example of mutual submission, um, of, of what sub, a leader should look like, a, sacri a sacrificial leader should look like, he says, no, I did not come to be served, but to, uh, to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And Jesus told the disciples that they were to exercise their rank in a way that was distinct from the world. So he was teaching them how to exercise leadership and, 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 and to meet with people, to, to love people, to minister to people, to bring the gospel to people, and to exercise that leadership in a way that was contradictory to the world's view of how a leader should exercise their rank. Rank is not focused on status or power, but on service. Often, Jesus tried to teach his disciples this. Unfortunately, they failed to learn this lesson. And even at the Last Supper, they were arguing over who was the greatest. In Luke chapter 22, verse 24, it tells us about this. It says, a dispute also arose among them as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Can you imagine Jesus sitting there and this, this breaks out, this conversation? I mean, he's about to go to the cross, the ultimate act. He's ministered, he's invested, he's poured his life into them. And here, and here they are in this moment. Not how can I serve you? How can I elevate you? What can I do for you? But looking around the room and going, I think I'm greater than you. I think I'm greater than you. I'm better than you. That was the mindset. And in verse 25, it says, And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. 
Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. What an incredible example by Jesus. See, those in rank had every right, that's what he's talking about, have, had every right in their cultural context uh, in a way that not even in ours, but, but we see it still exercised, that every right to exercise that rank over the people they were leading. But Jesus comes onto the scene and he brings this different way of leading. There's a different motivation in how you lead and how you're going to treat other believers. And when Jesus washed their feet, he taught them that the greatest person who uses their authority to build up people and not like the Pharisees to build up their own authority and makes themselves important. He taught them that that is the greatest person. That is the leader. That's what leadership should look like. That's what we as Jesus followers should look like and how we should treat each other. And that's what the world should see when they look at us. And so Romans 12, 10, he talks about this because, listen, Jesus had all the examples of the opposite of this, right? Uh, he even brings up, you know, the, the Pharisees. Not Like, listen, the Pharisees are a prime example. They use their authority to build themselves up. He says, not so with you. You're going to be different. You're not going to be like that. You're going to use this opportunity to build me up, to serve and to build someone else up. It's actually going to cause you to look like the servant. Romans 12, 10 says, love one another with brotherly affection. And then I love this part. It says, outdo one another in showing honor. Literally think of how can I outdo somebody in showing honor to appreciate them, to, to, to lift them up even more. Philippians chapter two, verses one through four. And I just want to read some of these verses to you because they're just, they're so, uh, they're so good. Uh, it says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. How many of us are so consumed with our own interests, uh, what we're seeing, and we, don't, we haven't even given a thought to what someone else may be seeing? What, what maybe is important to them? We're so consumed with what's important to us, with our priorities, with what we want to do. And we're so consumed with that mindset, we're not even seeing other people. Galatians chapter 5, 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You seeing this? You know, because Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 said... I am a servant to all so that I might win more. There's something different here and we have to talk about it because it's different than our culture. 
And as we go in in the next few weeks into relationship dynamics, if we don't have a common understanding and a common baseline of the expectations on all of us, if we're a Jesus follower, we're going to miss out or we're going to come at it from a perspective that isn't even of God or isn't even what he's talking about. And, and, and the question I have for us is we read these verses and we think about the mindset that we're called to have in this mutual submission. Is this where our hearts are at as a church, collectively, as individuals? Is this how we see each other? Is this how we treat each other? Are, are, are we looking at other Jesus followers and going, oh, I wonder what's up with them. I wonder what their problem is. I wonder where they're at on these issues. Or are we going, man, how can I encourage them? How can I meet them where they're at? How can I elevate them? How can I actually put their wants, desires, and needs ahead of mine right now? And how can I just love them? How can I serve them? What a difference, right? Our walk is to have a sensitivity and empathy towards others. Serving others means being connected to the needs of others. You can't, you can't say, oh, I'm serving others, but I'm not connected to the needs. I don't even know what their needs are. No. So there's a pull towards others through mutual submission. It will pull you into relationships with other Jesus followers. Our attention is not on us, but it becomes on them. And that kind of mutual awareness ties people together and it creates a healthy body. The body's helping. It's helping build itself up through the power of Jesus, through what Jesus did, through his power. See, as that mutual awareness ties people together and makes a healthy body, it reminds me how it's better to have people look out for each other than for one to have to look out for oneself. See, other people see things in you that you don't see in yourself. And when they share that from a submissive and loving heart, it helps bring transformation into your life. It helps to protect you because they may see some things, they may see some troubling signs in you that you don't see in yourself. And, and, and if they don't say something, you're, you're just not seeing it. You're, maybe you're hurting someone and you don't know, but other people are seeing that. That's the beauty when someone uh, is literally looking at how can I how can I encourage them how can I how can I grow how can I how can I sacrificially love them and elevate them they are they are there to have even difficult conversations uh, with them so so when we think about having that relationship it helps protect you it helps guide you it helps reveal things that are in you that you may not see in yourself. This redefines power, essentially, and uses it in a way that serves. And we're so used to power in a way that says, serve me. This verse is so important. Because our flesh does not lead us in the direction it's telling us to go. See, our flesh isn't saying, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, right? At least my flesh doesn't just naturally go in that way. And I'll, and I'll tell you this, and this is what's scary too. Our church culture isn't driving us in that direction. Our, cult, our church culture is, is encouraging. It's highlighting those that can highlight themselves. 
those uh, individuals uh, that, that can create and generate a following for them. And, and, and what happens is we get consumed with us and we lose sight that everything it tells us to do is actually in submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And yet we start to get caught up in how can all of these people serve me? How does this impact me? How do they impact me? What is their, how does what they say relate to me? And we, what we see is conflicts in the church, in the home, in marriages, they always come from hearts that are directed by self rather than by the Spirit of God. That's why it's so important that you understand that this is only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, when self insists on its own way, life is always in a battle for that top position, right? When myself is leading me, it's, it's how, do, how do I be the best? How do I, how do I be the top here? Um, and, and, and here's the other thing that, that yourself, your pride will do. It pushes other people down as you try and climb up over them. Because when I'm operating in myself, in my pride, I'm more important than you. And so you're in the way. I'm going to do what I can do to get above and over you or around you. And, and, and this, is what, this is so dangerous uh, in, in any context. But I think for a lot of us in our lives, we've operated this way. And the, and the scary part is we take that mentality into the church and we treat other people like that. We compare ourselves to other people. We look at the those people. Uh, even pastors will do this and look at people. And we have to guard ourselves uh, because we'll look at, at where people are and we'll look at them and go, man, they're in the way. They're, they're where I want to be. They're obstacles instead of opportunities. That's what happens when you get consumed with you. People are no longer opportunities. They're obstacles for what you want to do or what you want to be or where you want to be at. And we take that same mentality, like I said, into the body of Christ. As a pastor, I have to guard myself from this mentality. We have to guard ourselves in our church context from allowing this, uh, this, this unhealthiness to, to be a part of what uh, we do. See, by nature, we want to promote ourselves. But the Holy Spirit enables us to submit ourselves. See, in us, it's make much of me, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, it's submit me, submit that for the sake of the greater good, for the gospel, for, what, for somebody else. It closes by saying we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We submit to others because Christ is, is the ultimate authority over our lives. Now, when we, when we see this out of reverence for Christ, uh, or it may say out of a, out of a fear uh, of Christ uh, in your translation, this does not mean that we live and we walk in terror of Christ. Like that's not uh, what it's talking about. In fact, we actually see Paul referencing again uh, Jesus's deity as he's been doing when we see the context of Lord and it's referring to Jesus in the last uh, few verses that we've been looking at. And even when we think of the Old, con Old Testament context when it would say, 
in fear of God. And now we see fear of, of Jesus, of Jesus Christ here. And it's not talking about this terror of, oh my goodness, there he is. Like, like no, um, it, it's, we, we stand in this reverential awe of who Christ is. He is the king. He is, he is, he is judge out of, out of reverence for, of, of his authority, of his holiness. We gladly submit to his rule and we serve others with compassion. When we have a, when we have a clear picture of who Christ is to us for this world, when we understand and know uh, that, <laughs> that he is God, that he is on the throne, that he, that we exist to glorify him, to make him known uh, and, and, and those things, listen, you will, as a result of that, serve other people. You will mutually submit to other people. If he's in his rightful place, it always comes back to Jesus. Because I'll tell you what, I know people that live like this. I pray that I live like this. And, and, and I know when I'm actually like, like living this out, I'm not like going, man, am I putting people ahead of my, I'm not thinking about it. It's no, it's just Jesus is in his rightful place. And as Jesus is in his rightful place, as I pursue him, as he is my affection, my source of joy, my source of peace. And when he's in his rightful place, I do this as a byproduct because I'm filled up with the Holy Spirit and he's working in me and he's convicting me against saying, Steve, make much of you. He's saying, make much of them, serve them. They're not an obstacle. They're an opportunity, Steve. Look at them like I look at them. It always comes back to Jesus. And so the question has to be, what is your relationship with him like? Um, my oldest son right now, and this, is, this blesses my soul, he is so fascinated by Jesus. In fact, while I was preparing uh, to do this sermon, he comes into my room, he starts asking me questions about Jesus, and I actually was kind of at this fork in the road because I'm like, man, son, I really got to prep to talk about Jesus, but you're asking me about, and then God's like, uh, that's why you're here, you know. And, and, and so I started engaging with my son, and, and he said at one point, he says, before he leaves the room, he says, Dad, I want to be like Jesus. And I said, guess what? You can. And he just went. And he shut the door and walked out. And he was so excited knowing that he could be like Jesus. It's not rocket science. I think sometimes we can get so caught up in all of these things and as he reminded me, as he left the room with that joy, with that simple question of, Dad, I want to be like Jesus, and the simple response of, you can be, and how clear it is what that looks like and what he's asking us to do. But if there's a disconnect at the tip, at the point here, at the base, in my relationship with Jesus, then, yeah, this is... This is impossible because you can only mutually submit. You can only sacrificially love people like this. You can only elevate someone else over yourself through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if you want to live in this way, it's going to come back to where you at with Jesus. 
And we know from Scripture, his commands won't be burdensome. But if when I read this, you said, that's impossible, there's no way, or like whatever, and you kind of just discarded it, I got to ask, what's going on with you and Jesus? Because if you are right with him, this is exciting. Even in the conviction, you go, man, thank you, God. I need this. I want to be more like you. I want to model this. I want to serve sacrificially. I want to elevate other people. I want to be known for this. Get things right with him. This stuff will, as we look at mutual submission, it will transform our church if we live this out with each other. And as we go in, in the next few weeks here, into marriage, into parenting, into how this plays out vocationally, all those things, understand and know what the baseline always is. It's always been about Jesus. It always will be about Jesus. And when you think about how hard or difficult or unrealistic a, 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 a verse may sound, understand and know that that is by design because you're going to need the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus left and gave us the Holy Spirit. You are more than equipped to do this, to live this out, and to experience fulfillment and joy that you could never imagine or comprehend. And if we're all treating each other this way, oh my goodness, I don't even know what God could do with Ecclesia, but that's what I pray for. Amen? Let's pray.